Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Aviva Richmond. Let's listen. Hi, this is Aviva Richmond from Hadar, sharing thoughts on Parshat Shoftim. Torah fueled by our questions. Parshat Shoftim deals with the structures and nature of leadership. Early in the Parsha, one passage explains that someone who has a hard question should go to the centralized leadership to ask, and then must obey the answer on penalty of death. The point seems to be about reinforcing the power and authority of central religious leadership. But in the arc of ongoing interpretation, these verses become a provocative jumping-off point to reflect on the nature of the encounter between an individual's religious question and religious experts. It becomes possible to find in them a voice for the importance of asking our questions, not primarily to ensure obedience, but because our questions have an important role to play in the unfolding of Torah itself. What is the religious ethos of bringing a question to an expert? The Torah describes the process of bringing hard questions to central leaders and judges to seek out a ruling. In chapter 17 of Devarim, verse 8, if a case is too baffling for you to decide, be it a controversy over a homicide, civil law, or assault, matters of dispute in your courts, you shall promptly repair to the place that your Lord God will have chosen, and appear before the Levitical priests or the magistrate in charge at the time, and present your problem. When they have announced to you the verdict of the case, you shall carry out the verdict that is announced to you from that place that God shall choose, observing scrupulously all their instructions to you. When it comes to hard questions, people must seek an answer from a supreme religious authority and obey it at all costs. For those who are skeptical of religious power and authority, this sentiment may feel like an affront to individual autonomy and self-trust. Indeed, the academic Talmud scholar Charlotte von Robert lays out a picture of the rabbinic laws of menstruation in her book Menstrual Purity, where she describes how rabbis construed themselves as experts over diagnosing the status of different kinds of blood in a way that the Torah never seemed to require. Von Robert points out that in the Torah, there seems to be a contrast between something like tsara'at, skin disease, which required diagnosis by religious authority, a priest, as opposed to something like menstrual blood that required no such third party and could be interpreted by the intuition of the individual. In the details of halakha, rabbis claimed the role of priests as the authoritative arbiters of individuals' religious lives. In the wake of modernity, many today are skeptical of religious authorities and choose to take no part in a system that would require interfacing with rabbinic experts for many details of one's life, including very small and private details. The rabbinic intricacies of determining the status of something like menstrual blood can be particularly jarring for people's instincts around privacy and the body. In this view, requiring individuals' questions feels like a means to advance rabbinic authority for its own sake. Another model of how religious authorities engage with individual questions is a more gracious or perhaps pastoral model. An individual exposes their own vulnerability and need by asking a question, and this requires special attention from an all-knowing expert. The expert is compassionate and caring but essentially is doing a kindness or a favor to the questioner 
by making the match between their individual experience and Torah. In this model, an individual may feel they are inconveniencing an expert, or certainly that they should feel indebted to the expert for taking the time to address their specific and perhaps marginal case. In a third path, however, our individual questions act as a critical part of Torah growing into its fullness and the unfolding of truth. That is the model I'd like to focus on. A short but provocative story in the Talmud about Yalta, one of the few named women in the Talmud, suggests the extent to which she trusted herself in ritual matters. This is in the Talmud tractate Nida 20b. Yalta once brought some blood to Rabbi Bar Barchana, who informed her that it was impure. She then took it to Rabbi Yitzchak, the son of Rabbi Yehuda, who told her that it was pure. But how could he act in this manner? Isn't it taught if a sage declared something ritually pure, another sage may not declare it impure. If he forbade anything, his colleague may not permit it. At first, Rabbi Yitzchak informed her indeed that it was impure, when she told him that on every other occasion, Rabbi Barbarchana declared such blood pure, but that on the last occasion he had a pain in his eye, Rabbi Yitzchak gave her his ruling that it was pure. Do we really believe her? Yes. Yalta does something very simple in this text. She seeks out a second opinion. By the end of the passage, we understand that this is because she realized that the rabbi she usually trusted was unfit to offer a diagnosis that day. The fact that she seeks a second opinion shows the extent to which she has trust and confidence in her own knowledge and sensibilities. The Talmud asks how the second sage could dare to contradict the first sage, but it actually never questions Yalta seeking out a second opinion in the first place. The medieval commentary of the Tosafis picks up on this path not taken and asks why the Talmud doesn't critique Yalta's own behavior. They offer a resounding support for Yalta's instinct to ask another sage and see Yalta as a model for all of us to value our questions. The concern, quoting the Tosfot, was not about the one who asks, but about the sage, that the one who asks should ask all they want, for through this they will carefully examine the matter. There are times that the first sage made a mistake, and the matter will come to light. The Tosfot here respond to one detail in the logical flow of the local passage of Talmud, and make a giant leap towards a more general religious ethos around the centrality of individuals' questions. It is not subversive, nor an inconvenience, for an individual to ask questions about halachic matters that feel unresolved. On the contrary, an individual's question and ongoing dissatisfaction drives the learning process to ensure careful examination and due diligence. We see here a vision of Torah fueled by our questions. Often people characterize different religious communities based on whether they are question-averse, or question tolerant, particularly in the wake of modernity and fundamental questions people have towards Torah and Judaism. There is a seed of a vision in this Tosafot that is certainly not question averse and goes well beyond being question tolerant. It is a question-driven ethos of Torah and Halakha. Without questions and follow-up questions, Torah would not be examined as carefully as it needs to be. In our moment, it is common for people to withhold their questions of religious tradition for two different reasons. Some have no faith in the system. They assume there is no room for their question, whether within the canon itself 
or among those who claim authority to interpret it. Others withhold their questions out of a presumption that the system must be right already, and that their question must not be worth asking. They have no faith in themselves. Although the former might be considered cynical and the latter pious, both approaches actually lead to the stagnation of Torah and prevent the dynamic unfolding of religious truth. We need structures in place so that questions are not merely tolerated, even graciously tolerated, but actually fuel ongoing learning that embraces all individuals and all of our expertise, recognized and valued by religious leadership. When you have a question, the motivation to go to the expert should not just be to get the answer and ensure obedience. The motivation on all sides must also be that this question has a crucial role to play in a shared journey towards discovering all that Torah can and should mean. As we explored in the Parshiot of Tazria and Mitzorah, our stories and questions are not subversive or tangential to Torah, but can become the very stuff of Torah when we engage in a deep encounter. Our hardest questions don't have to alienate us from God and Torah. On the contrary, they can drive a more honest relationship with Torah and reveal a Torah that is more true to itself. I will never forget when my teacher, Dr. Tamar Ross, asked our class of 19-year-olds to write down the toughest questions we had of Torah, the things that felt like they might make us lose faith entirely, that the system couldn't handle. We spent the rest of the semester studying Maimonides and how he embraced his own mammoth questions as a catalyst to his prolific interpretation of, rather than abandonment of Torah. Our hardest questions can weigh on us. They can also make us soar. Shoftim emphasizes religious leaders who are focused on individuals bringing questions whenever they arise, so as to deliver clear answers and quelch disobedience. This evolves into a model of religious leaders who invite questions because they do not have clear answers and are committed to listening closely to the questions and to the insights of the Torah in all its subtlety, so as to journey towards a greater understanding of truth together. Shabbat Shalom. We'll close with a song from Psalm 27 in honor of Elul. This episode of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.